Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today our topic is public question number one on the November ballot. It's the uh, otherwise known as the Indiana Property Tax Cap Amendment. Joining us in the studio are Monroe County Recorder Sam Allison, Monroe County Assessor Judy Sharp, and Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce Advocacy Director Morgan Hutton. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can go there and uh, join a chat about this topic or just send us an, a note there and they'll get it into us. So, hey, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank, for thank you. Us. All right. Sam and Judy and Morgan, thanks for all being here. I know uh, this property tax cap amendment. There are two amendments on the ballot here in Monroe County, um, and one is the one that's been getting most of the local attention, which is uh, school school property tax increase referendum. That's not the one we're talking about today. We'll be talking about this uh, Indiana uh, this Indiana property tax cap amendment. I'm going to just read a little portion of it. I probably shouldn't read the whole thing because mm-hmm. it's pretty long and complicated. But It's the first question that you're going to encounter on the ballot. That's Correct. Correct. It basically says, shall property taxes be limited for all classes of property by amending the Constitution? Amending the Constitution. That's one of the key elements. The state constitution of the state of Indiana. To do the following. Limit a taxpayer's annual property tax bill to the following percentages of gross assessed value. Essentially, 1% on an owner-occupied primary residence, 2% for residential property other than owner-occupied primary residence and like a farm 2% on a farm right. agricultural property and 3% for other real property 3% for personal property so that's sort of the basis of it Judy why don't you describe that in real terms that is the most confusing um, <laughs> no one's going to understand it first of all Bob let me just start out right away saying this is not going to lower your property tax it's not going to um it's not going to freeze your property tax. People here and all over the state of Indiana think this is the best thing since sliced bread because they will never have to pay any more property tax. <laughs> all this <laughs> all this means is that um, that there's this one, two, three caps on different on different properties, on different buildings, um, and it is the most confusing thing that we could have possibly come up with. The one percent cap is only on, like you said, on the owner-occupied homes with a homestead. So you have to have the homestead credit on that property. And it is only for the home itself, the house itself, and one acre of ground. Anything else that you might have on that property will fall under the 3% cap. Your swimming pools, your tennis courts, like we all have those swimming pools. What about a detached garage? A detached garage, if it is a second garage, would be a 3%. If if your house already has an an attached garage, the detached will be at 3. If you don't have a, a garage on your home and it's detached, it'll be a 1. This is so clear that you're, you're all looking at me with that look. <laughs> Trust me, every, every taxpayer has that same look. Um, so what is so confusing is going to be so confusing to people, and believe me, it's so confusing to the assessors and the auditors, is the assessor's office has to go out or go into your property card and break down every item on that card with a 1, 2, or 3%. So uh, let's say that you were um, a farmer. Your home, your personal home, is if you have the homestead credit, has a 1 on it, 1%. All of your outbuildings will be at 3%. Your one acre of land underneath your house is at 1, but the rest of the the land is at two. That's if you're farming it. If if, if farming. it's agricultural land, right. yes, so sir. What, what if what if you what if there's 
more if you have one more than one acre, you're on a five acre lot. You're not farming anything. It's a two percent. So it, it's just. So that's why I say I yeah, have to okay. go in there when I say I the assessors. Yeah. We have to go in there, and you know most people have quite a few lines on a property record card. So then the auditor has to go in and actually figure out the difference. So um, Joe Taxpayer comes in, let's say he has a $1,000 assessment, which, you know, no one does, but let's just say it's $1,000, but he has a whole bunch of different caps rates in there. He's never going to figure out what his yeah. max would be. And frankly, most of us won't be able to. Yeah. It sounds good, but I think it's going to be so confusing. And... Um, uh, so, Judy, let me just ask you one clarifying question, if I may. So while the uh, tax percentage would be frozen, your uh, what your property is valued at can still fluctuate as much as ever. Yes, ma'am. If it goes up, the that one percent. Um, Obviously, well, a tax on uh, a one percent tax on three hundred thousand dollars is going to generate more income than a one percent tax on two hundred and eighty thousand dollars, for example. A one percent. Let's just say it was flat one. A three hundred. Your your flat rate would be a three thousand dollar tax bill. Your two hundred and eighty would be two thousand eight hundred. But because of all these variables and. The other thing that you have to throw in here is if you have the homestead credit, your your um, your cap is at the assessed value without all the exemptions and deductions. So that three hundred thousand house could only be taxed at the max at three thousand. But by the time you have all your exemptions and deductions, that you're going to lose two thirds of that assessed valuation. So most people, unless you have a very high in high assessed valued home will never hit in Monroe County because our tax rate's pretty low. Uh, we'll never hit that cap anyway. We're nowhere near our cap. Yeah, it's actually $378,000. You have to be living on a property valued at $378,000 or more before you'll see any property tax cuts. Okay. Not cut caps. Caps. There's a lot more we can, we're going to be sure. talking about, but let's go to Alan on the phone. We've got a phone call. Let's get him in here quickly. Alan, go ahead. Okay. I've talked to Bob before and also Bethany about this and brought them in all of the documentation to show this. The DLGF information that they publicize is completely wrong. Because, And I'm glad to see you folks have at least somewhat corrected what has been widely viewed as accurate and has been published in many media. And that is that residential property can only be subject to either 1% as a homestead or 2%. And in fact, residential property, according to DLGF and the property tax card, can be in fact subject to 3%. And I heard a comment that was made um, by the lady that you have on there Mm -hmm. that very few people are on that cap. I'm on that cap simply because I own less than five acres, and therefore, I am subject to an assessment that is approximately three times my neighbor, simply because I don't own very much property. And the net result is my property tax on that small amount of acreage has bumped up against the 3% Hmm. gap that is already in effect. And if Bob's there, I think he will know who my name is. I never received any response or read anything in the paper from either he or Bethany regarding this, although I was very pleased to spend a few minutes with them and laid out all the documentation for this and, in fact, gave them copies of it. Mm-hmm. Sam, did you have a reaction? No? Okay. Um, well, Alan, go a little bit deeper into this and explain, like, if you can give us your specific detail. How much property do you have? I have, including my homestead, 4.7 acres. So that when you subtract the one acre and the homestead, that come out to 3.7 acres, and that's in two different parcels, uh-huh. a parcel of one acre and a parcel of 2.7 acres. Okay, so the one, one acre would be your homestead, so it's at 1%. Right. And, and the, that, the other, that is okay. I have no problem with that. The other 2.7% or 2.7 acres would be at 
Two percent. Oh, wait a minute. There's three parcels. Okay. Two point seven mm-hmm. and another acre. Okay, but that for a so total that of four point seven, including my homestead. Okay, but the one so you take out the one acre, which is your homestead. Right. That's one percent, and then the other three point seven percent, both those parcels combined, would be uh, taxed at the agricultural two percent. No. Wrong. Okay. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. Okay. And according to DLGF, they should be. They would be. But according to Nancy Sharp. As well as Judy Sharp? County, uh, I'm sorry, Judy. Judy yeah. Sharp. yeah, she's right here with us, so she as can. As well as Na- and I've talked to Judy, as well as Nancy Smullenberger in Greene County, it is completely legal within what the uh, assembly has done to, first of all, not only overcess that land because it's considered excess residential acreage, but at the same time, DLGF is incorrect because they advertise that on their publications that are sent out to taxpayers as subject to a 2% rate because they call it other residential property on their form. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that is wrong. It is an error. When I did talk to a gentleman from DLGF, quite frankly, he didn't seem too concerned about that and thought that was all right and we should go ahead with it without any problem. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. The, the other 3.7 acres, yes. what do you think it qualifies as? I think it should qualify for the very same thing that my neighbor owns, well, which actually is better land than mine, but he owns approximately 30 acres. So therefore, because he owns more than five acres, not only is he assessed at about one-third of what I am, but in fact, his cap is 2%, and mine is 3%. All right. I'm, Judy's right here, and she's going to respond to this. I think I understand what uh, this gentleman's talking about. He's talking the difference between agricultural land and other land, just residential or commercial or industrial. In Indiana, we have um, a protected class of land which is agricultural land. And agricultural land in Indiana is priced, has nothing to do with the caps right now. Let's just talk, he's talking assessed value. Uh, Agricultural land has a different pricing code than the rest. It's not at fair market value. It's at a, um, it's at a value that Purdue and the state of Indiana sets all over the, all over Indiana. If you are uh, farming, and you and you have a farm sheet. You send a farm sheet into us, and you're using your land as agricultural. Then you will you will fall under agricultural. Um, if this gentleman is raising pigs, goats, whatever, uh, sheep and cows, and is baling hay on his one or two acres and files a farm sheet, we can put it as ag land. But I don't think that's the case. Um, it is just called excess residential. And depending upon where you are in any county, it's based upon what that would sell for, fair market value. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the difference. Uh, but what we're talking about today is the 1%, 2%, caps. Um, and the 1% cap is only, period, on the one acre and the house that it sets on. And if you have less than one acre, it's the whole, it's just that lot but that's it. So I think we've got, and that's why this is so confusing. This is not an easy job that we have to do. It's people have so little knowledge, and we get confused. So the one, two, three is a little bit different than what he's talking about. The ag and the res. But, but just to follow up, I mean, Alan, if I'm understanding what you're saying, I mean, you've got one acre that would be that would be the um, your homestead. So it's one percent. And then the other 3.7 acres would not be at 1%. It would be at 2% because it's, Judy, it is? Excess residential. Excess residential. That is incorrect. And why do you say that? Because I have my property tax bills. And I talked to Judy probably about five months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live in Greene County, not in Monroe County. But I understood from her it was the same thing that was being done in Monroe County as Greene County, but, as far as I know, statewide. Yes, but, it is. Judy is wrong. No, but Alan, Alan, let me ask you, what does your property tax bill say? That it's... The, the what? property tax bill says 
excess residential acreage. And therefore, number one, it is assessed at approximately three times what my neighbor is. And secondly, the tax cap on that is levied at 3% according to, well, no, I'm sorry, 3% according to practical application. But according to DLGF, it should be at 2%, and it is not. And as far as qualifying land for either agricultural or whatever else you want to call it, it's my understanding, and this was told to me by Judy uh, several months ago, that in fact any parcel under five acres could not be classified as agricultural simply because there was not enough land involved. It would have to be a minimum of five acres or more. And in fact, my neighbor is not agricultural. He raises no animals, he does not cut hay, he farms no crops, etc., etc. It's simply not agricultural. But when you look at his property tax card, he is being assessed at agricultural in terms of the uh, assessment of the land, and therefore he is subject to the 2% cap because of that, while me with much less land is being subject to the 3%. Okay, well, I'm going to let Judy, Alan. We're going to have to let you go. I'm going to let you can listen. I'm going to let Judy respond to this, but also I want to, I want to stress that I think what we're trying to get to is what this law says. You may be saying it's being a, that you think it's going to be applied unfairly or improperly, and that's something that that we can't solve for you here. And if that's the case, then you'll have, I think you'll have remedies through appeals and your legislators and things of that nature. We're trying to decide. We're trying to to decipher what the law actually says. And, and Judy, do you want to respond? Um, I totally understand what he's saying. and But unfortunately, this is what we're getting, and I think you're going to see so much more of it because it is it is as clear as mud. Uh, the one, two, three, the different property classes that we have, uh, it's so complicated. The assessing community is just now getting their hands around it. Um, you go from county to county, um, you, you'll get different – I mean, you shouldn't be getting different things, but that's always happening. Uh, I can just tell you that in Monroe County, um, coming in this next year, the only ones that will will qualify for ag land, period, is if you file a farm sheet. People um, – we have homesteads – or not homesteads, but we have um, developments where they have 50 acres in a subdivision mm-hmm. now. And we've always put that as ag land, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, it's not right. We shouldn't be doing that. So we, the bottom line, we have to be at fair market value. However we get there, we get there. Uh, that's and you're it. saying that if his neighbor came to you with 30 acres, but it wasn't – he didn't file a farm he sheet He would be you. assessed the same as the gentleman next yeah. door. Okay. Okay. Well, Sam? I'd like to speak also to the, the fairness issue. One clarification also. I'm currently the county recorder, but I'm running for Monroe County Council uh, District 4. So I have uh, a very strong interest in this matter. Uh, I think we have to remember that back in 2008, we all started paying more in sales tax. In fact, 16% more in sales tax. And that happened at the same time that I believe it was House Bill 1001, Judy, went into effect and put in these caps. Now, here's 16% what that... 16% in sales tax. Yeah, from, I don't get from, that. from 6% to 7%. Oh, I see what you're saying. The sales tax increased that much. So every single one of us, whether we own property or not, is now paying 16% more in sales tax. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what we learned at a July 12th forum hosted by Association of Indiana Counties, and that's where the representative from Crow Horwack revealed that the only people that will hit the caps, and therefore I think the only people that will see any meaningful reduction in their property tax bills in Monroe County are people that live on properties valued at $378,000 or more. The rest of us are paying more in sales tax and getting slightly fewer services so that essentially people in half-million-dollar homes can make out pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I just think that is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. We have got to back up a little bit and talk about the genesis of this because um, 
in my mind, an amendment to the state constitution is a big, hairy deal. And so, I mean, you know, you just don't do that without an ama- a lot of forethought and without very good reason. So based on what I'm hearing here today, I don't, I don't get what the genesis of this was. I think it's okay. I have nothing to lose. It's purely political. It sounds good. It sounds real cute. One, two, three. No one sat down to really think what it was going to be. As Sam said in 2007, the one, two, three caps were put into law. It's already a law. We don't have to put it in the Constitution. Um, this this is only the second year that we've really had to to see what's going on. When this was put into a law, that's before this, quote, recession happened. Um and like Sam said, we had the the state of Indiana was sitting on um, maybe a billion dollars of of rainy day funds. That was the same time the state decided to take over the welfare and to also to fund the schools, part of the schools out of the state. Well, we all knew that anyone that that sits here and analyzes everything knew that the state could not continue to do that. Uh, there's just not enough money, so. It was a perfect storm. They did the one, two, three caps. They they took on all of this other stuff, and then the recession happened. And all of a sudden, there was no money. So that's why, even though we're not speaking to the second question, the referendum, that's why you're seeing the state broke, no money. And we knew that was going to happen three years ago. But that's, that's what we did. Um, anyone that really understands uh, economics really understands the property tax, has been advising everyone to please take a deep breath. Do not open the Constitution. Once you open the Constitution, it's not easy to do it again. It's a, I think it's a five-year, five- to seven-year process. As by it the, should be. As it should be uh, in order to do that. And so we're going to be stuck, if this passes into the Constitution, we are going to be stuck with us one, two, three, with no money coming in, with everything in Indiana going downhill, education, infrastructure, uh, services. And um, I know people out there really think this sounds great, but, and I'm not trying to say the sky's falling, but just remember, people, everybody knows what's happened to the state of California. And we're heading to that same direction. It took California 30, 40 years, well, 40 years just about, to reach where they're at today um, when Proposition 13. It's the same thing. Proposition 13 or this 1, 2, 3, it's the very same thing. It took them 30, 40 years to reach where they are. It's not going to take Indiana. We were not California people. We didn't have an ocean. Mm-hmm. We're not California. It's not going to take us 20, 30 years to fail. It's going to take us very little time. Okay. Yeah, I, we're, going to, we're going to drive our car right off that same cliff that California drove its car off, we're right and, we're, and we're accelerating right behind them. Okay. Exactly. I, I've got to say this is turning into quite a partisan conversation, I, I'm, and it's bound to be that way because you're mm-hmm. both Democrats and you admit it. And you're yes, elected, I am. <laughs> elected officials. Yes, <laughs> it was a, the state legislature that did approve these caps. It was driven by the governor. Governor, uh, and he's not here today to tell us why he he did all this. I'm going to get to Morgan in a minute, but we had a phone call. Oh, I think we just lost that phone call. Joy is on the phone, though. Joy, I'd like to find out how it is that one. I've I've always had agricultural land, but it's only about ten acres, and I want to know how a person gets make sure that they are listed as agricultural even if it's a very small place judy okay um agricultural what it means joy is that you are using that to for agricultural purposes that you're raising crops on it that yeah. you're raising animals yeah. I've got animals on it. well then that's agricultural if yeah. you are using 10 acres as part of your of your landscape of your home, that should not qualify as no, agricultural. It's not. But it's you, agricultural. No, I'm saying she needs to file a farm sheet. Yeah, what? I need that. I need to know how one files a farm sheet. Me just because I've never had to before. Well, you should have, and you haven't. Ah. Okay. Yeah, um, nobody, nobody ever said you have to file a farm sheet. So if you're actually farming your property, yeah. and you're you're 
putting it in your federal taxes as you're a farmer and you do that, you need to file a farm sheet in the state of Indiana in the county you live in. And that comes out in yeah, March. I don't list that as as a farm for money. Okay, then you're it's probably not going to... It's my own personal purposes, but I raise crops on it. Okay. Well, you know, you can come in and talk to the assessor's office next year when it goes, when it's no longer considered ag, and show us why it should be. But you have to go in, whose office do you go to? The assessor's office. The assessor's office, Mm -hmm. Uh because there's a lot of people who have, you know, a couple of beefs that they raise for their own use. Right. And that is... You know, that's agricultural. You're, it's not landscaping if you don't go out there without watching where you step. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Think, totally yeah. understand right. that, you Joy. Should. You're probably okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You should just go in and uh, talk to Judy in the assessor's office or okay, somebody. Okay. Will do. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I'm going to turn to Morgan for one quick yes or no question because we've had it from a listener who sent in. What is the Chamber of Commerce position on the amendment? And then I'll let you explain after we take a break. Uh, the chamber, the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, does oppose the constitutional amendment. Okay, right. so it's unanimous here. Uh, we're going to we're going to talk to Morgan about that and what the chamber's position is and why. After we take a short break, you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about public question number one on the Indiana ballot, the Indiana property tax cap amendment. Joining us in the studio are Monroe County Recorder Sam Allison, Monroe County Assessor Judy Sharp, and Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce Advocacy Director Morgan Hutton. If you want to call us at 855-0811. 1-877-285-9348, and our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We need to let Morgan talk a little bit more about why the chamber has chosen to, the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce specifically, um, has chosen to uh, take a, a position uh, being against this. And um, Morgan, if you don't mind, if you'd also tell us if if you know anything about any other chambers um, and what what stance they've taken on this. Sure. Um, uh, Before the break, you mentioned the constitutional amendment component of this. And it is a big deal, um, you know, amending, opening up the Constitution. And that's part of the reason why the chamber um, is in opposition to the constitutional property tax caps, given the differential tax rates between, um, you know, the one, two, three, one on homes, uh, homesteads, two on rental and, and farmland, and three on business. And uh, currently, the Constitution requires the legislature to ensure a uniform and equal rate of property uh, assessment and taxation. And given this policy, um, you know, from a business perspective, is the first time um, in the state's history that a business property can be taxed at three times the amount um, of a residential property of equal value. So, um, you know, there's certainly concern with, uh, you know, why we need to treat business property differently when our current constitution calls for um, equal treatment of all property types. So you're looking at this as an issue for small business, especially, I imagine? Absolutely. Um, you know, a business for, or an issue for small business across the state. And then, uh, you know, as we try to attract uh, new business into the state and, you know, there's a lot of competition out there. And when we look at Indiana, and uh, see that we're, you know, taxing business at three times, you know, what residential property is. It's, uh, you know, a question of, 
um, you know, is this treatment that we need to give businesses we're, um, you know, trying to compete in, uh, you know, these tough economic times. Morgan, what's the state chamber's position on this? Uh, the state chamber uh, also um, opposes for uh, similar reasons. Are you aware of any chambers in the state that are in favor of this or have made a statement to that effect? You know, not off the top of my head. I can't come up with uh, okay. it, I would venture to guess um, in northern Indiana, perhaps some of those chambers are in favor just due to the fact that uh, they're reaping a lot of benefits from these caps because they were already at such uh, high tax rates. Um, so, uh, you know, it was a much needed relief for them, uh, uh, you know, in the northern portions, but not necessarily across the state. And why were there, why were their tax rates so much higher in the northern part of the state than, than our tax rates would be? Well, Bob, I'd love to answer that. <laughs> Down in Southern Indiana. Judy, do you have any idea? Yeah, um, in Northern, that's the that's what drove this whole um, um, property tax change in '95. That was what the uh, whole tax court case was about was the steel mills up in northern Indiana, all of the big up in northern Indiana where you had the the big industry. Mm -hmm. That was the number one source of tax revenue. And so homeowners up there were paying very little taxes where your your mega businesses were paying the most. And Mm -hmm. that's what that started this whole thing that we've been on with the tax court case and to go to fair market value. And so where homeowners had to start paying not not so much down here, but we're talking about northern Indiana, mm-hmm. where they they were paying practically pennies on the dollars. Um, so that was the change, and these these huge um, these huge steel mills and these big 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 factories, like Morgan said, uh, they have very high tax rates up there. Um, Anyway, so they were. Was there a concern then that that was contributing to the demise of their industry? That's what they said. Okay, right. And if I can just add in, um, the amendment does have some exemptions for uh, Lake Lake County County. and Saint Joe, Mm -hmm. Saint Joseph County for some of that long-term capital debt that they have. So not only are we treating property types differently in our constitution, we're also treating two counties differently in Uh, our constitution. I'm glad you brought that up, Morgan. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to speak briefly to uh, another statewide issue, and my information source on this is uh, Dr. Larry DeBoer uh, from uh, Purdue uh, Economics Department. He's recognized as probably one of the foremost uh, authorities uh, in Indiana on local government finance. I believe it was about a year or a year and a half ago where he was looking at the early effects of House Bill 1001, which raised sales taxes mm-hmm. and put these caps into effect. Do you realize, well, at least according to his data, a family of four, typical family of four in Indiana that's earning $35,000 a year is now actually paying in the neighborhood of $25 to $50 more in taxes every year because of the sales tax sales increase. Tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, the typical family of four living in a half-million-dollar home, now granted they are paying more in sales tax and they consume more than the family earning 35000 but still the property tax cut was so much that they were on average paying or getting – over a one thousand dollar break on their property ta- or on their overall taxes every year. So once again, I mean, it's just extremely unfair. And I bring up that issue of renters because fifty percent of Monroe County, roughly fifty percent, are renting, and I believe it's somewhere between sixty-five to seventy percent of Bloomington are renters mm-hmm. as opposed to homeowners. And once again. We all pay more in sales tax and don't see any property tax breaks. Okay. We're going to go to uh, a phone call in a minute, but let me give you the phone numbers again. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348. Outside of the local calling area, our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Rebecca is on the line. Rebecca? Hi. Uh, I know we increased the sales tax in kind of preparation for changing the way that we were funding the schools and for lowering the or you know setting these property tax uh, cap if we do not amend the constitution um, are we going to keep that sales tax and do you think it is time to modernize our tax structure you know most people are not you know when indiana was formed as a state people pretty much made their living off their land and that created income Our land doesn't provide income for us now. Our homes don't provide income for us. They're mainly an expense. And I think it might be better to tax something that um, 
is not just a constant expense for people. I hate to think, and I know it, it has happened for older people especially, who may have paid off their home, but they owe, because property taxes have, uh, you know, were getting out of hand, have lost their homes because of this. And I think I'd rather see Indiana move away from a property tax altogether. But I want to know what our guests have to suggest if we do not amend the Constitution or if we don't keep into law the, the tax caps, which I agree, I don't think are constitutional either, because they don't treat everyone the same or all types of property the same. But well, I'll take my answer off the air. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, let me, let me sort of rephrase that just a little bit and say, well, or at least explain. We don't have legislators here who are the people that can vote on what kind of taxes that we're going to have. However, we do have three people who are very interested and involved in, uh, in government and in business. So I think the question that Rebecca was really asking is, um, are property taxes the right way to support government, or are there other forms of taxes that you think would be equally good or better in this, in, in this new age? Sam, I'm going to go with you first. Well, I think we need to clarify first and foremost, if this doesn't pass in the Constitution – it's still state law. I mean, and I don't you know. Once again, Bob, as Bob pointed out, I'm not a state legislator, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm not in the position to to make those decisions whether or not that would happen. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, it could very well be that the current system is with us for quite some time, even if this Constitution amendment fails. Mm-hmm. So let me clarify that, just for my own understanding. Do we currently have the one, two, three as law? Yeah. Okay, they're shaking their heads. Yes, yes. we yeah, have I that, that as was law. House Bill ten oh one that was uh, became effective July first, two thousand eight. Okay, thank you, Judy, for clarifying. Right. Yeah. So we do, but it is not currently a part of our Constitution of the State of Indiana. Correct. Okay. Correct. And the reason it has to go into the Constitution is because our Constitution right now says that. All property will be fairly and equitably assessed. So the one, two, three is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And no one has challenged that yet. Um, Why is that, Judy? I think they were waiting to see if they put it in the Constitution. Okay, so it takes seven years, plus or minus, mm-hmm. to get something, or to make a constitutional amendment, and it has to go through a, refer- or a, a referendum, which is a public vote, to get it out. Wouldn't you have to go through the same process? Mm-hmm. So a court challenge, how could a court challenge be enough? Uh, it would be just like the, the court challenge in 1995 on, on the fair and equitability of our, of our old system of taxation. And that it took four years for the courts to finally rule that we had to go to a, a fair market, market value, value state. Yeah. So anyone that challenges this one, two, three will, first of all, have to have a lot of money backing them in order to mount a challenge. Let's face it, it's very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. It won't be done overnight. Um, and I think that maybe if this doesn't pass, my guess, and it's just a guess and it's just me, I have nothing to, to back that with, but I think that's when you will probably finally see, because right now businesses are going to be unfairly assessed uh-huh. or affected. Um, everybody is. I mean, everyone it will be affected by this one, two, and three. So I think then we'll finally start seeing somebody come out to to challenge it. Um, but who knows right but now? But if this has been in place really since two thousand eight, why why isn't there more of an uproar now? I think they're just waiting to see what because it, they started two years ago with this whole constitutional challenge. I mean, like I said, this is the. It's a, it's a process that takes um, a vote from two separately elected legislatures and then the uh, um, public vote or referendum. And it, that's uh, an important point to point out is that these caps are already in place so that, you know, we hope there's not a misconception among voters out there that, you know, go to the polls on November 2nd and, and vote in favor for this, that their property taxes are going to go down because they're not. The relief is already here. It's already been enacted. Um, this How's is that working just, out for you? This, exactly. And this mm-hmm. is just engraving and in stone in the Constitution to where, you know, years down the road, if we say, wow, this wasn't such a good idea, uh, yeah. you know, then then we're faced with uh, trying to repeal it. I, I have a quick answer to your question. And that is, I wish there were. 
more public outrage. And I hope that the news that Judy Morgan and I are delivering to people through this program today will help spawn some outrage. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, I want to go back to you know, two or three years ago because I remember when the, you know, the, governor, the governor had this in his legislative his set of legislative priorities mm-hmm. and he pushed it hard. And the state legislature, there was a lot of debate and a lot of mm-hmm. discussion about whether this was a good idea or a bad idea for this to be law in Indiana. And the state legislature, who was elected by people in our state, mm-hmm. voted with the governor and said, yeah, we like this idea. And the governor, as I recall, again, his position on this, whether it's right, wrong, or you guys agree with it, was that he thought this would make um, property taxes um, more predictable for everybody. That's part of my at least my recollection of what mm-hmm. he he said and and would set and would help give people property tax relief and property tax relief did happen two years ago when the sales tax went up and that's why we're in some of when we when we raised the sales tax mm-hmm. but remember the state took over the welfare costs mm-hmm. from our budgets they also took over some of the um they took over the operating funds out of the schools Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to be funding that that's when they had a surplus now they do not have a surplus they're broke the one two and three is in law the state's broke how is the state going to continue funding the welfare and the the part that they're supposed to be funding in the schools next year they can't Mm -hmm. um like i said you know, the best laid plans of mice and men sometimes go astray, and right. that's exactly what happened. If we were still flushed with money out there, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation, but no one is. Right. And the only stable source of revenue to run government, and that's up to the people how they want their government ran, if they want schools, if they want public safety, if they want services, the only stable source is property tax. Mm-hmm. I, I heard Matt Pierce say at one of the forums about the public schools and the potential school referendum that, mm-hmm. you know, people in the legislature do do what the, they think the voters want them to do. Exactly. And if the voters, if they think, if they're hearing from their voters that they want property tax relief at whatever cost, then the legislators are going to follow that lead. And if the voters say, we don't, you know, we want support for our schools, then the legislators will follow that lead. What will happen um, if this passes, because we do have to fund services. I mean, basic mm-hmm. human services has to be funded somehow. We will see more user fees. You will see all sorts. It will become a fee-based government. So everything that you want. Permitting fees for business. Permitting fee for business. And, okay, maybe I'm, I'm a Chicken Little saying the sky's falling. But what's going to happen one of these days when there is absolutely no money left for anything? You call 911, they say it'll be $50 to come out to your home. Yeah. Do you don't think that'll happen? I, I'm not saying. I, I, no I mean, I'm just saying, guys, <laughs> unfortunately, that's where we're at now. But when people, and, and we didn't answer this lady, I don't think, very well. She's asking, she's saying, what other types of taxes? You tell me what other types of taxation is out there thought about it and thought about it. Sales tax isn't working. And people say, well, I'll just put more sales tax. We already have the highest sales tax of everybody Mm -hmm. around that we border. I think I read something uh, that to support what people want right now, it'd be like 17, 18 cents on the dollar. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you did away with property taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Guys. Wow. And you know who that hurts? That hurts the poorest among us. Yeah, I mean, it's a horribly regressive regressive tax. tax. And also, most of us would move out of Indiana. I mean, we couldn't afford to live here with that kind Mm -hmm. of. And there are also, also, um, I was just up in northern Indiana this week. And, of course, I had Chicago stations on. And they were, of course, it's all politics right now. But apparently Chicago has one of the highest tax rates in the country because they have all these fee services on the tax rate out there, the the sales tax and all that good stuff. And they're trying to pass, and I've heard it said here, right now, remember, you don't have to pay sales tax on food and medicine and, like, getting your hair cut and all that. That's the next thing, people. You'll see us expanding the base of the sales tax because we'll have to. Mm-hmm. So everything will have a sales tax on it. I don't know about you guys, but 
Oh, my heavens. You know, we already pay so much taxes. Another reti- rep- It'll um, just be another regressive yeah. tax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. We have about 10 minutes to go. Our phone number is again 855-0811, Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're talking about the Indiana Property Tax Cap Amendment, which essentially seeks to amend the state constitution to cap home property tax at 1%, farm property tax at 2%, and business property tax at three percent. That's essentially it. Okay, Sam. Now this isn't too good. This isn't very good radio. But I see that you brought with you um, a sign into the studio today. Can you tell me a little bit about the sign and what the the background is on that? Thank you very much for bringing that up. Democracy for Monroe County has purchased, I believe, well in excess of three hundred signs. Maybe closer to five hundred. They read: "Say no to constitution pollution." Vote no on public question number one. So starting this weekend, we are going to start putting those out throughout the county. And who belongs to Democracy for Monroe County? What's what's the genesis of that group? Democracy for Monroe County is the local chapter of Democracy for America, which is a grassroots progressive organization that got started by Howard Dean back when he was running for president. Uh-huh. Okay. Is it like the anti-Tea Party? <laughs> I wouldn't call it that. It's certainly been around a lot longer than uh, than the Tea Party. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Morgan. I have another question for you. We're talking. I about believe that. there is a coffee party out there oh, right now okay. that has just gotten started. Oh, yeah, like so it. we we might collaborate with them. I mean, we're talking about different kinds of of taxation and, and taxes. And you, as an advocate for business through the chamber, are there? Uh, what's the the chamber? The local chamber, the state chamber, to your knowledge. What's your position on kind of how Indiana is doing as a tax state? Are there certain taxes that the chamber is interested in um, having uh, reduced? Is Indiana in a good position, a bad position compared to other states? Well, I think we've seen um, Indiana improve, and and we're in a pretty favorable uh, climate for business, um, and that's why um, you know this constitutional amendment is a concern because. Um, you know, we're going to take a couple steps back and, and we're not, you know, are we going to appear not as attractive anymore um, mm-hmm. with this 3% tax on business? So, yeah, overall, I mean, the, it's a it's a good climate for business in Indiana and we want to keep that going. Mm-hmm. Now, there was there used to be a, an inventory tax in the state. Was that – that was done away with, wasn't it? That, yeah, yeah back in 04, I think. In 04. Yeah. Okay, because that used to be a tax I think that businesses really didn't like. Right, exactly. <laughs> It's been interesting, really, over the last um, 20 years, I'd say even less than that, the amount of shifting that's gone on in this state. um, And it had been kind of static for for a very long time prior to that. Do you think we're better off now or were we better off before? Judy, do you want to answer that first? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm ready to jump all over this one. I'm, I'm like Sam. Um, you're right. I think it all started in 1995 with the court case when when the public rose up about property taxes and how unfair they was they were and they had no basis. We had no basis for our property tax system. Right. And the courts ruled that we had to move to a fair market value state. That isn't done overnight. It wasn't easy, but we're getting there. And I think we're so close now. And we're actually seeing it work. And I guess that's one of the the things that the Association of Indiana Counties, all elected officials out there, um, consensus-wise, are saying, let it alone for a while. Let, let mm-hmm. things stabilize. And you're actually seeing it. And it's like, like Morgan said, we got rid of the inventory tax. We got rid of a whole bunch of stuff that all of the groups could, could agree that they weren't the best for the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. But it isn't done, and you don't see the where we go for a while. It doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. It's getting there. So don't throw this this into the Constitution until we really analyze what this one, two, three. So Well I'll I'll answer you in terms of what's happened in two thousand eight and above. I'm gonna be repeating myself a little bit from earlier in the show, but I think it's important. The change in state law now means that low income renters, typical family of four, is paying twenty five to fifty dollars more in tax every year, whereas people in half-million-dollar homes are paying 
well under $1,000 less in taxes per year. And the local impact here is we're all paying 16% more in sales taxes. If this state law, which was a bad state law to begin with, goes into the Constitution, then it means the only people that will benefit are those living in a home valued at $378,000 or more. Mm -hmm. And I used the word ludicrous before. I'm going to use it again. I can't think of a stronger word. Mm -hmm. If one comes to me, I'll, I'll use it. We have uh, two calls I'm going to try to get to real quickly because we only have about three more minutes to go. So, Sarah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, my, my comment question, I don't know what you want to call it, is one, you're discussing what the laws ought to be, and the other is there's the issue of how hard they will be to change if we put them in the Constitution. And that's the one that concerns me the most because it's hard enough to change laws as it is. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that comment. And I think we'll repeat that in order to change the Constitution, it needs to be uh, – a bill would need to be passed by two legislatures and then go to a referendum and be voted mm-hmm. on by the state. So minimum of three years, and there would be a buildup before. Mm-hmm. So it would probably take four or five years. And this would minimum. have to be sold as an increase to your taxes if they want to repeal the cap. So right. a lot more <laughs> difficult to pass. Right. Okay. Nancy's next. Nancy? Natalie is my name. Natalie. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Natalie. Um, there will be two very important forums next week, October 6th and 7th, um, at the Public Library. Uh, League of Women Voters is holding these forums. The 6th is on the school referendum, and the 7th is on the constitutional amendment. I think you listeners would be most interested to attend those, mm-hmm. 7 p.m. each night. Natalie, not only should they be interested, <laughs> I apologize for not mentioning that earlier. So, oh. so thank you very much for calling. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. Right. Okay, Natalie, thanks a lot. All right, uh, we only have about a minute to go, so I want to give each of you a you know, last thought. Um, this is on the, the question one, public question one, the Indiana property tax cap amendment. Sam, recorder I, I, and I, candidate. I actually have another apology. It's something I should have said earlier. Um, that is people under 65 – or sorry, people over age 65 will also see some property tax reductions if this amendment goes into the Constitution. But we already have an existing exemption for senior citizens. And my view is if we want to give senior citizens additional property tax relief, which is a good idea, let's just do it through the existing code and laws that we have. Okay. I'm going to just paraphrase for Judy. Judy's been opposed to this. She's said many times that this would be a bad law to get into the Constitution. And Morgan, from the standpoint of it, the the fact that it's 1, 2, and 3 percent, it's not fair business. And the local chamber has taken a stand against this as well. But I'm going to have to sign off. So I want to thank uh, our guest today, Judy Sharp, Sam Allison, and Morgan Hutton. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer uh, Dan Goldblatt, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.